Peggy and Bounce was a 19th century pastor, church leader, and writer. He wrote some of the most powerful books that you will ever read concerning prayer. He was a man of prayer, and that came through every word that he wrote. The books that he wrote on prayer are some of the greatest, considered to be some of the greatest Christian classics. He admonished pastors that they needed to pray two hours for every one hour that they studied. That was how essential he considered prayer to be to effective ministry. So it was somewhat amusing to me, or maybe it was more distressing, when recently I saw listed one-minute devotionals based on E.M. Bounds. And so this man who emphasized that we need to pray, pray, pray. That prayer needed to be our breath, our bread, everything that we do. That nothing will be accomplished without prayer. And that we need to give ourselves to this work as a primary endeavor in our lives. While well, here in our contemporary day, his emphasis has been reduced to a one-minute devotional. And we wonder why we aren't more effective for Jesus Christ. Why the church of the first century, without all of the enhancements and abilities that we have, could be so effective. No internet, no website, no social media, not even any buildings of their own. And yet, according to Luke's record in the book of Acts, they had a reputation from outsiders, unbelievers, as those who turned cities upside down. I believe that one of the keys to that disparity between the early church and us is found in the words that we will begin to study this evening. So open your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. I have entitled this chapter as Jesus's Viability Theology. And that's really going to be our theme this evening as we connect chapter 14 to chapter 15. As we look at a primary principle that Jesus emphasized in chapter 14, and yet it wasn't a primary principle in his life, it was the paradigm by which he lived. And we're going to see how he applies it to the disciples' lives, to their relationship with him, to their viability as his disciples. And that's going to lay a foundation for us so that we will be able to understand in depth and in detail what Jesus teaches in John chapter 15. Now, I would encourage you to read John chapter 15 
over and over again. It will only take you about four minutes to read through it. It's not a long chapter. But I believe that it is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And that its teaching is non-negotiable for us. If we want our lives to represent Christ well, if we want our lives as disciples to truly be viable and our association with him to have impact. I want to look at just a few words, a few verses from John chapter 15, and then some words within those verses that are going to highlight for us some of the distinctives about this chapter. So verses 4 and 5. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then verses 19 through 22. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. As I said, there are things that Jesus has laid down in chapter 14. Things that relate to his relationship with the Father that are transferable to him and his disciples, to him and to us. But as you and I will see, just as they were essential, non-negotiable for him and the Father, they are for us as well. Now, we have characterized chapter 14, as we will re-emphasize in just a moment, Jesus' Father theology. But there are some words that Jesus will emphasize throughout this chapter that are significant for us to take note of. Jesus will refer to himself in first-person pronouns in this chapter more than he has been. Me, I, my. We will see Jesus emphasizing once again, as we did in chapter 14, but now in an even more prolific way, this word in, remain in. We will see Jesus as I said, making this connection between him and us with his use of the word you. Again and again, he will direct these personally applicable statements to his disciples. We are going to see the word if, a conditional word, used by Jesus many times. 
So again, I would encourage you to read John chapter 15, read it multiple times, circle these words, underline repeated statements like remain in, and get a real grasp, a real handle on what Jesus is saying here and the depth with which he is applying these words to us as his disciples. So with this picture in mind, let's look at a few things tonight that are foundational, that are fundamental, that are so important for us to understand as we begin to study this chapter. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me as I read that verse is that almost every word that Jesus used, with the exception of maybe four, are single-syllable words. And yet when Jesus speaks, little words are critical principles. In the previous chapter, Jesus said in verses 10 and 11, It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Throughout chapter 14, Jesus emphasized the Father. Remember that he began by describing the Father's house. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And he ended that chapter by saying, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He emphasized to his disciples that he was, as John said in his prologue, verse 18, the visible representation of the Father. Remember what John said, chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, except God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him knowing. And so Jesus emphasized to his disciples that he was the visible representation of the Father, that to know him was to know the Father. He emphasized also in chapter 14 that he did not speak on his own authority, that it was the Father living in him, doing the works that were the proof that he was in the Father and the Father in him. Important for you and I to remember this emphasis of Jesus. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus would go on to say, if you don't want to believe what I'm saying, believe on the basis of the evidence of the works themselves that it is the Father who is in me, and I am in the Father. Critical principle. In chapter 15, 
Jesus will extend that principle. I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and that is the way that this work is accomplished. So Jesus will now extend this principle to the relationship of his disciples with him and to their ability to give evidence that he is in them. In chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, this principle of relationship. The NIV uses the word remain. The King James and the English Standard Version use the word abide. There's this principle of relationship, this principle of remaining, this principle of in, and it determines our viability. Jesus said, it is because the Father is in me doing his work that you see the evidence. In the same way, it will be Jesus in us and us abiding in him that will enable us to bear fruit, fruit that will be to the Father's glory, and fruit that will prove that we are disciples of Christ. In Jesus' theology, little words are the hinge on which eternal truths and principles become viable in us, his disciples, here on earth. In chapter 14, the Father and his relationship to the Father, was the focus of Jesus. In chapter 15, it is him and his disciples. Jesus addresses himself with the words, I, me, and my, 55 times. He addresses his disciples with the word you, 46 times. He used the word in, 17 times and the word if 11 times. Critical theology and principles whose application in our lives depend on little words like in and if. As we saw in chapter 14, it is Jesus's in theology that is at the heart of his identity and purpose. It is the Father living in me, doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It's at the heart of his identity. If you see me, you have seen the Father. 
It's at the heart of his purpose and mission. I did not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. In previous studies, when we were in chapter 14, we looked at this relationship between him and the Father. Their indivisible union. Their infinite mutuality. And that characterizes Jesus. Remember, he is God the Son, one and only. As John laid out in his prologue. And as Jesus would emphasize in his own relationship with the Father. The Father is God whom no one has seen. Jesus is God the Word made flesh. And thus he becomes the revelation of the Father, the expression of the Father. And it is a revelation that is infinitely complete in its truth, its grace, its life, its judgment. John said, we beheld him, the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And then in chapter 2 and verse 9, he wrote, For in Christ the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God, the one and only Son, revealing the Father who is God unseen. That was Jesus' purpose and mission. Jesus speaks for the Father, and the Father executes his explicit will and purposes through the Son. This is what Jesus meant. When he said, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Since Jesus has come to make the Father known, he speaks only what the Father commands him to say. He does only what the Father tells him to do. And this does a couple of things. One, it guarantees an absolute, accurate revelation of heaven to earth. This is what Jesus meant when he said, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you have heard my words, you have heard the Father's words. He gave an absolutely accurate revelation of heaven to earth. But it also revealed, as Jesus emphasized, the love that he had for the Father. I only do what the Father commands me to do. This is so the world will know that I love the Father. Remember that, because Jesus will apply that same principle to us as his disciples. Remember that this is Jesus' last evening with his disciples. John records more about this evening than any of the other gospel writers. John records more of the words of Jesus than do the other gospel writers. And this evening stretches over chapters 13 to chapter 18. And here we are in the middle 
at chapter 15. Jesus has been speaking. He's been demonstrating this relationship that he has with the Father and how it is transferable to him and his disciples, to their relationship with him, as his relationship is with the Father. But the disciples need to know in a deeper way what you and I must also understand. These principles that govern the relationship of Jesus and the Father absolutely and unalterably apply to every disciple's relationship with Jesus. They aren't optional. They aren't amendable. We don't change them to fit our times, our personalities, the values of our culture. They are transcendent. And they are non-negotiable if we are going to represent God accurately here on earth, as Jesus did. For example, the statement in chapter 14, it is the Father living in me doing his work, will become in chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The principle embodied in the words that Jesus spoke at the end of the chapter, chapter 14, so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me, will be applied to the disciples as well. Jesus will say to them here in chapter 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. You are my friends if you do what I command. As I've been saying, we need to understand as disciples that, quote, on earth as it is in heaven is not an abstract phrase. It's not just something that Jesus inserted in what we call the Lord's Prayer because it sounds good. But rather that phrase, which Jesus lived out in his relationship to the Father, in his representation of the Father who is unseen, revealing him in this world, that phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, is really a discipleship phrase. And you and I need to take that to heart, study it, and understand it as Jesus unfolds this chapter to us. Remember that earlier this evening, as Jesus gathered his disciples there for this final Passover together, that he had set for them an example as the master, that they must give themselves in selfless service to one another. He washed their feet and then said to them, 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, in chapter 15, Jesus is going to remind them of what he had told them and extend that principle to their association with and their representation of him in this world. And he will say to them, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And then he will end this chapter by saying, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. So again, these principles that Jesus has lived out in his own relationship, in representing the Father, so that the Father would be known, so that the Father would be glorified, so that the Father's mission would be accomplished on earth, are the same principles that you and I must live out in relationship with Jesus. These principles must characterize our association with Him, the way in which we represent Him to this world. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, You are living epistles or living letters who are read by everyone. What the people saw in the lives of the believers as Corinth was the knowledge of Christ, for better or for worse. If it was a poor representation that came from a weak relationship with him, then it was a poor witness that was being given. Remember that Jesus was in such absolute union with the Father. And it was out of that union, so fully devoted to the Father's will, that Jesus was able to accomplish and complete the work that the Father had given him here on earth to do. And so it will be for you and for me. Let's look once more at this prevailing paradigm of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, he said, so have I loved you. There's the paradigm in action. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. There you see the paradigm once again. This is Jesus' prevailing paradigm.
It characterizes everything that he is and does. It summarizes completely his relationship with the Father and how he is able to do the Father's will. It determines the love relationship that exists between him and the Father. In the same way, this paradigm that prevailed in the life of Jesus must prevail in your life and my life as well. In John chapter 6, verses 55 to 57, Jesus said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. There we have that word remain again, as well as the word in. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Let's just note what you might remember, that when Jesus shared these words of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, it was deeply offensive to people. They found his teaching to be too hard to accept. Much of the teaching of Jesus was too difficult to accept. People considered it demeaning. They did not want to hear, I tell you, unless you hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. And yet, it's how Jesus lived. Completely surrendered. At the complete disposal of the Father. Remaining in the Father, the Father remaining. In him. Again, it's how you and I must live. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Remember that the mission of Jesus was to reveal the Father whom no one had ever seen. It is the mission of Jesus to be the Father's one and only fully authorized representation. It's his mission to be the revealer. And so in order to fulfill that mission, Jesus humbled himself. He laid aside his prerogatives. He lived in absolute surrender and union with the Father. It was the only way that the will of heaven could be made known on earth, unfiltered, undiluted. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As disciples, you and I must comprehend this prevailing paradigm of Jesus. The degree to which we understand it, the degree to which we remain or abide in Jesus, the degree to which we surrender and die to self so that he can abide in us, it will determine our viability as followers of Jesus Christ. It will determine our ability to reveal him to the world with an effectiveness that authenticates our faith 
and glorifies the Father. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Can you and I bear fruit of our own initiative, our own strength, our own efforts? No. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We need his life abiding in us. Jesus is going to introduce, in the final of his I am statements, an illustration of a paradigm for us to understand this. I am the vine, you are the branches. And just as no vine can do anything of itself, unless it remains in the vine, so you must remain in me if you are going to bear fruit. Once again, we have seen that Jesus connects this paradigm by which you and I bear fruit, authenticate that we are his disciples, and glorify the Father to his own relationship with the Father. So you and I can say, that Jesus is our ultimate example of discipleship. It's why you and I need to know Jesus, study Jesus, immerse our thoughts in Jesus. It's why you and I need to seek the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, to guide us into all truth, to speak to us of Jesus. It is a spiritual work that only the Holy Spirit can accomplish. And yet it must be accomplished in us if we are to bear fruit and to reveal Jesus who is in heaven here on earth, even as he revealed the Father in heaven when he was here on earth. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to do this work in us. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you that you so loved us that you sent your one and only Son. The only one who could truly speak your words and represent you in such a way that it would be full of grace and truth. Sufficient to save us, to atone for our sin, to guide us into all truth, to open the new and living way to the Father. Lord, we come to you tonight. We want to bear much fruit. We want you to be revealed in us. Father, we do not want our lives to diminish Jesus in some way. For people to see us more than they see Jesus. To see some characteristic about what we think, what we believe. Instead of seeing Jesus. And so we pray tonight, Father, that as Jesus will say to us, would you prune us? Would you cut away those things that 
resemble us and do not resemble Jesus. Jesus, would you send from the Father the Spirit of truth to show us what needs to change in our lives, what we need to surrender, where we need to die to self, how we can live this exciting, this most priceless, this eternally valuable walk of surrender, of union, of abiding in you, so that we can bear much fruit. Lord Jesus, it is our deep desire that we would have impact for your glory and your honor on this world. That our lives would cause others to see Jesus. That we would truly be the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. That people would come to salvation and eternal life because they have seen Jesus in us. And so again we ask you, Father, we ask you, Master, send the Holy Spirit. Do this work in us. May it be a deep work, a thorough work, and a work that will truly enable us to bear much fruit to the Father's glory, showing ourselves to be your disciples. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.